0: Hi, this is Pastor Paul J. Chandran, and you're listening to Life Church Castle Hill Podcast. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering, Church? Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. It is always a joy and a privilege to bring God's word into your homes. Again, this morning, we're going to study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are almost in the last chapter today. So today we're going to cover a huge chunk of scripture from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 12 and verse 7. So in these verses, we're going to find what Solomon, the preacher, has to say to us. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Open our eyes to see and give us listening ears to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. And give us a heart that was willing to obey your word, mighty God. We surrender ourselves one more time to you. We give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Story was told of a CEO that was hired to bring some changes within the organization. So the CEO um, came in, and he wanted to make sure on the very first day itself that he means business. So, he didn't want any slackers in his company. He wanted everyone to be diligent and hardworking. So, when he walked in, even before he started greeting people, he looked at a young man who was uh, uh, kind of just uh, uh, looking at his phone and, and leaning on one of the walls. And he went straight to him and said, How much do you make in a week? And the man said, About $300. So he took immediately took $300 out of his pocket and gave it to him and said, here's one week's pay. I don't want to see your face. You're fired. So the young man left. After that, feeling very confident and proud about his first firing and meaning business in the company, he turned to the other workers and said, can someone tell me what this young man did in this company? They said, no, he's just an Uber Eats driver that just delivered food. I want you to listen to me carefully. Sometimes we act ahead of time without thinking. That was the whole point of chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, that you and I, we need to think about our action. Now Solomon in chapter 11 gives you a brilliant summary of how to live a life that is fulfilling. So I'm going to give you keys to a fulfilled life from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 12, verse 7. The keys to a fulfilled life. You and I know that Solomon has been examining life, and from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 11, I mentioned to you, he addresses one key issue, the stewardship of life. In other words, that you need to put God into the equation of life for life to make sense. For you to live a life of wisdom and to avoid foolishness in your life, You need to have wisdom, and wisdom is found by putting God into the equation of our lives. So that's why in chapter 11 and chapter 12, for us to appreciate the keys to fulfilled life, we need to put God into the equation. So I want to take you to verse 8, and in verse 8 onwards, chapter 11, Solomon tries to address some of the keys to fulfill life. I'm going to give you three. Let me give you the three and then you write it down and then we will meditate together. Number one, we should enjoy life within the boundaries of righteousness. We should enjoy life within the boundaries of righteousness. Number two, that we should enrich life by being preoccupied with God. How do we enrich life? We enrich life by being preoccupied with God. And thirdly, he speaks about we should engage life with a confidence of faith. We should engage life with a confidence of faith. So in these three things, Solomon helps us to understand the keys to a fulfilled life. Number one, we should enjoy life within the boundaries of righteousness. Look with me in verse 7 all the way to verse 10. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He's talking about living a life of happiness. He says light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to be able to see the sun. That means you're alive. You come out, you're you're still alive and you're able to take in all the glory of what God has created. And in verse eight, he speaks very specifically. He says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So now he's summing up everything. He says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice. That's the first thing he wants you to pay attention to. Rejoice in all the days of your life. Then secondly, he says, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Two things Solomon emphasizes in this one verse. He says, if you're a person who wants to live a fulfilling life, there are two keys that you need to pay attention to. One, you need to rejoice in the days that you have. You need to learn to enjoy life in the days that you have. You need to fill your life with gladness of heart. At the same time, you need to remember that days of darkness are coming. And there will be many days of darkness. See, life is a two-way track, isn't it? It's a a twin track. The twin track is there will be tragedies. There will be triumphs. There will be favor. There will be famine. There will be good days. There will be days that are evil. Even in the New Testament, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, In the day of evil, do all that you can and stand and stand and declare who you are in Christ, isn't it? You and I, we need to recognize that we want to see good days. So Solomon says that we need to learn to rejoice in the days that God has given us, knowing that there will be darkness that is coming ahead of us. But in the days of darkness, even if it is many, we should remember to rejoice. So first thing he says in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. I love this. Rejoice, O young man, in the days of your youth. One of the key things that Solomon, as an old man when he's writing this, he looks back in life and he says, yes, life is to be enjoyed. Life is to life is not just to endure, but life is for enjoyment. You know, you just don't need to just tolerate things. You need to celebrate things. So here he says, if you're a young man, rejoice in your youth. How? B- make yourself happy. Make yourself joyful. Now, this is where you and I, we need to pay attention to the two things that are contrasted, isn't it? You and I know, biblically speaking, there is a big difference between happy, being happy, and being joyful and rejoicing. What is happy? Happy is all my happenings are happening to the way I want it to happen. Therefore, I am happy. If all the happenings in my life are happening the way I want it to happen, then I'm happy. But what if things don't go the way I want it to go? Will I still be joyful? That's why the Christian worldview is that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all the tragedies of life, in the midst of all the inconsistencies of life, you and I, we know that we can put God into the equation. God who is sovereign, God who is good, God who is wise and still anchor our life in a sure and steadfast hope, the Bible says. And when you anchor our lives in a sure and a steadfast hope in Christ, you can be joyful. That's why Paul, when he pens it, he pens from prison, an epistle, Philippians, to the Philippian church. And what does he say? Every page oozes out this word joy. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because it doesn't matter whether you are in the palace or whether you are in the prison, you can still be joyful because joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the work of God in our lives. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So rejoice in the Lord. Here, he says three things about joy. Three things about rejoicing. I want you to pay attention to verse 9. Come on. He says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Your heart needs to be cheerful. Now, as a young man, when I came into this country, I was uh, newly married, I migrated to a new country, and uh, one of the core things that I had to go through in, many, in, the, in the years between I was 23 to 35, I went through a lot of pain in my life. And those things sometimes, it is not just pain, uh, it, it's, it's agony of the mind. It is the agony of disappointments and all those things, that the um, discrimination, things that are, that, are, that are done to you by carnal men and carnal women. And those things really leave a scar in life. But one of the things that I always found, God bringing me back to His presence and filling me with His joy. I remember every single time, because I want to enjoy the life with the wife of my youth, Even though we had shed many tears, but I remember clearly going before God and saying, Lord, there's only one person I can turn to. And every time I went into his presence, he helped me empty my anguish in my soul and filled me with joy. So I do know that when even in the midst of your sorrow, even in the midst of your pain, I want you to think about this, reframe your life reframe the situations that you're going through how do you reframe you reframe that the god of sovereign god who has called me He is with me in this necessary journey that's why we always say it is a necessary journey and because it is a necessary journey you can still be joyful because god is not finished with you yet that's why i'm saying here solomon writes here and he says let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. You know, many times I look around for young people and young people, they have less burden in their life, less responsibilities in their life, therefore less worries in their life about many things, isn't it? Not necessarily true for everyone, but generally people are okay if they come from a very good family that has, in a good environment, nurtured their family but I want you to think about this. Even if all these things are missing in your life, can I humbly say this? You can still have joy in your life. How? You learn to mature. You learn to respond rightly to the circumstances of life. That is what joy is dependent on. Joy is not dependent on your parents buying you toys. Oh, I have less toys than the other. Or the joy is not dependent on every circumstance going the way you want it to go. Joy is in the midst of all these inconsistencies, midst of all these misfortunes. I can still be anchored in God, and I can respond rightly, respond in a mature manner, and therefore, what I'm going through becomes a necessary journey. I am joyful. Let your heart cheer you. Let your heart cheer you. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is walk in the ways of your heart. I want you to pay attention to how many times he repeats the word heart. The matter of the heart is the the heart of the matter. Let me get it right. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's always the heart, isn't it? Here the Bible says walk in the ways of your heart. And as though when you read this, you know, um, and in the sight of your eyes. When you read this, sometimes it can speak as though Solomon is recommending to live a hedonistic lifestyle. In other words, seek self-pleasure and live life to the full, doing whatever you want. Because you're young, you're, 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 let's, let's celebrate life. Look, walk in the waves of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But he says, along with it, he says, but know that For all these things, God will bring you into judgment. See, that is the boundaries of righteousness. He says for a believer, you don't just walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes without consideration to God's boundaries, without considering the boundaries that the righteousness of God has given to us. So you and I, we need to pay into, take into account putting God into the equation. So when you put God into the equation, you can respond in a mature manner even when things are not going well. When you're in the midst of a necessary journey, you can still rejoice by responding maturely. Let your heart be cheerful. Secondly, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes knowing God will bring everything to judgment. I know one thing that many times, You and I, we take this verse that is found in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I've heard people talk about, delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Can I humbly say this? The desires of your heart, examine it. What does He mean by the desires of your heart? You know what it is? In the whole context of Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord when you're delighting yourself in the Lord, then the desires of your heart will be the Lord. And He will give you His presence. He will give you His protection. He will give you His power. He will give you His un, uh, un, unconditional love. He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. Listen to me carefully. It is not something else. It's someone. It is God. Desire and delight. Delight. I love hanging out with my wife. She's my best friend and my truest friend. She has been with me through thick and thin. What is thick and thin? What is thin and thick? I was skinny first and now not so skinny. She has still been with me. And we have gone through life. We have gone through together in many circumstances of life. But one thing I do know is I desire being in her presence and I delight in her presence. It is because I delight, she gives me the desire. Desire is her, right? The same thing. The reality is this. When you be in God's presence, he is the one who gives you the joy. And when you are in his presence, you want to walk in his ways. You cannot walk with God while holding the hands of the devil, right? In the same manner, you got to hold God's hand. And when you're holding God's hand, you won't walk in your own ways you will walk in his ways. That's the boundary. The boundary is not legalistic rules and regulations. The boundaries is love. It is love that binds us. What keeps me in my marriage is my love for my wife. What keeps me in the path of wisdom is my love for my family, love for the the church, love for the word of God, love for the things of God. It is love that keeps you if it is rules that we need to keep you in, in boundaries, then that is legalism. And not only that, it become, it shows the immaturity of your heart. But when you're mature, you don't need rules, you need relationship, you need love. And when your heart is filled with love, there will be a joy in the ways that you choose. Hallelujah. The Bible says, walk in the ways of your heart, but know that God will bring everything into judgment. I want to share this example, rules and relationship. A mother was always telling her teenage daughter, clean up your room, help me clean the house. And every time the mother and the daughter will always have an argument because the daughter never obliged. It is always a hard nut to crack. Well, one day, the mother came back from work and she saw the daughter was uh, cleaning the uh, entire house. The mother didn't know what happened. She's saying, Mommy, look at this. I've cleaned this uh, living room. I've cleaned the kitchen. I've cleaned my room. Wow, what happened? Suddenly, the mother realized that the daughter was in love and that the boyfriend was coming home. So she helped clean everything. This is the key. Rules don't change hearts. Relationship, love changes. That's what God wants. A young person, while you're young, rejoice in your youth. But rejoice how? With boundaries of righteousness. Let you be bound by love, love for your family. You know, if a son knows how much his father loves him, the son will honor and respect the father, isn't it? Love. It shouldn't come out of duty, but out of delight. These are the key things that you and I need to recognize. Rejoice, be cheerful, walk in the ways of your heart, but know that God will bring everything into judgment. And that is where he brings God into the equation. When you put God into the equation, you are aware that everything will be judged. When young people are going out, usually they ask me this question. How far can I go with my girlfriend? How far is too far? Can I kiss her? Can I hold her hand? Can I put hands on, on her shoulder? What can I do? My humble reply to all of them has consistently been this one thing. Whatever you are comfortable to do to her in front of her father, in the presence of her father, that you can do anywhere. <laughs> in other words, what will you be comfortable to do when, God, when, when the father is present? Not that much. The same thing. When you recognize, when you bring into your conscience, when you bring into your conscious awareness that God is present with my life, then you will have joy, but with the boundaries of righteousness. Because God is in the picture. That's the first thing Solomon says here. And secondly, he goes on to say in verse 10, look at this in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart. Again, he deals with the heart. Joy of the heart. Now he says, remove the vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I want you to take to stock what I'm saying here. He says, you got to learn to remove vexation from your own heart. What is vexation? Vexation is that angst in our soul. It's that dryness in our spirit. And it could be caused by carrying too much weight, too much burden, And here he says, a young person, maybe through circumstances of life, he has been pushed into a place where he has to carry burden that is beyond his age. He has to carry upon his shoulders certain things that he was not prepared for, not groomed for, but suddenly thrust into it. There is vexation from his heart. Anxieties come and grip him. Disappointments have come and burdened him. Now he says, remove those vexation from your heart because you got to put away pain from your body. Therefore, you can, you know, enjoy life, but you can't enjoy sometimes if you don't deal with the hurts that are underlying. You and I, we need to recognize this. I shared with you earlier. In my youth days, I went through a lot. And one of the gracious things that the Lord did in my heart is to bring that grace to forgive, that grace to release that grace to stay and love and this is the key that I'm I'm sharing with you you got to learn to let go when you learn to let go and let God God takes charge but don't hold on to that that anger don't hold on to that resentment don't hold on to that bitterness don't hold on to that unforgiveness let it go and the more you let it go put pain away from your body do you know that that Neuroscientists are now saying that, that what goes on in your physical body finds its roots in your mind. In other words, if your mind is overwhelmed, it affects your physical body because there are hormonal imbalances that happens. Therefore, the fatigue happens in your body, then pain starts to manifest in your body. But pain is an indicator of sometimes what's going on in your heart. And that's what Solomon says in his wisdom. He says, deal with the condition of your heart. When you remove vexation from your heart, when you let go of that anxiety and embrace God, when you let go of that unforgiveness and embrace God, the more you come and give yourself to the Lord, remove that vexation from your heart, you will put away pain from your body. Miraculously, body will recover. Why? Because it's an effect, a cause and an effect. Sometimes we go to the doctors just to treat the effect of what we see in our body as symptoms. But the root issue is still in our emotional realm. That's why as a disciple of Christ, you and I, we need to live with short accounts of sin and short accounts of offenses. Don't take it to heart. Don't harbor these things in your heart. Come before God and deal with it. And here in this passage, he says, when you remove vexation from your heart, you put away pain from your body. Hallelujah. So what is he saying? Three things he says. One, let your heart be cheerful in verse 9. And secondly, he says, walk in the ways of your heart. And now he says, remove vexation from your heart. Heart, heart, heart. He comes back to the key emphasis on the heart because out of the heart will flow the issues of life. I want to give you three pursuits that people have. And these three pursuits will always give uh, three, three things, three experiences of our life that we go through But in the three experiences, how heart plays a vital role. Look at this. Number one, when people go through pain, when people go through pain, they question God in their heart. They doubt God. They question God. That's why one of the core things that we keep saying in this house is when you're going through a necessary journey or when you're going through a crisis, do not question the goodness of God, but rather trust in the Godness of God, who God is, what he has called you to be. Trust in Him. So when pain comes, people question God. But when pain is gone, and they're filled with pleasures, they forget God. They forget God. That's how human beings are. In pain, we question God. In our pleasures, we forget God. In our pursuits, we neglect God. We don't don't pursue Him. We pursue other things. We pursue what He can give us rather than who He is. We would rather have the house than the God of the house. We would rather have this than have him. And I want you to think about this. That's the orientation of human life. Pain, we question him. In pleasures, we we forget him. And in pursuits, we neglect him. And that's the condition of the heart. And that is what Solomon is trying to address here. He says, in in your heart, put God into the equation. When you put God into the equation, you can rejoice. Even in the midst of necessary journeys, you can respond maturely. And you can remove pain from your body by remove vexation from your heart. Hallelujah. You and I, we need to learn to recognize. The reason why sometimes we don't do this is because we are holding on to things too tightly. One of the things that you and I, we need to come before God and learn to do in the journey of discipleship in our pilgrimage is this. Learn to let go. And sometimes letting go is like this. Living with an open palm. That means you're not holding on to things. You're not holding on to positions. You're not holding on to titles. You're not holding on to wealth. You're not holding on to things. You live like this because your trust in God. And when you live in an open palm like that, you've got nothing to lose, nothing to hide, and nothing to prove. It's a place of security. You can truly enjoy freedom. You can truly rejoice in life. And that is exactly what Solomon is saying here rejoice in your youth. Know know this, there are days that are evil that will come. There are days that are darkness that will come. But learn to rejoice in all the days that God has given you. Walk in the cheerfulness of your heart. Walk in the ways of your heart. Remove vexation from your heart. But know all this, that God will bring everything into judgment. So first point, enjoy life within the boundaries of righteousness. Number two, we should enrich life by preoccupation with God. We should enrich life by being preoccupied with God. Look at this in verse number 1 of chapter 12. He begins this by saying, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. First he says, Rejoice, O young man. Now he says, remember the creator in the days of your youth. Ask yourself this question. What does he mean by remember the creator? What does it mean to remember? Remember doesn't mean don't forget. Remember here in this context means don't neglect. Don't neglect God. Because when you are pursuing pleasures, when you are pursuing happiness in life, you will tend to neglect him. So don't neglect God. Bring him into the equation of your life. Why? Because he is your creator. Listen to me carefully. If he is your creator, that means you are accountable to him. Your life does not belong to you. As a Bible-based believer, as a biblical worldview, we carry this. We are owned by God twice. He created us, therefore he owns us. He redeemed us, therefore he owns us. He purchased us twice, he created us, and he owns us by redeeming us through the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, our life is no longer ours. We are living a borrowed life. So therefore, in the midst of all the enjoyment of life, we cannot forget stewardship we are called to live life fully, but at the same time, we are called to live life faithfully. Why? Because our life is not ours. Our life belongs to the Creator. And he says this so beautifully. He says, you've got to have this worldview. You know, that's why in this church, as a disciple-making church, we take time to build the biblical worldview for our people. Through the pages of Scripture, through the pulpit ministry, through our Bible college, through the life group materials that we choose, what we are cultivating within our people is a biblical worldview. We, see, we always say nothing changes until the values change. You can be a Christian, you can listen to sermons, but nothing changes until your personal values change. And nothing changes when your worldview hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. So your worldview has to change from a secular worldview to a biblical worldview. And your values has to change from a worldly value system to a biblical kingdom value system. And when these two things change, there is a life change in our life. So you and I, we need to pay attention to this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. The reason why he emphasizes is because the days of your youth, your youth, before you know it, you'll be gone. The youth are gone. The The days of our youth are gone. Before we know it, the evil days have come. And that's why he's saying, before you know it, it's all going to be gone. So while you have time, this is the time to do the life to its full and live life to, f- to be faithful to God. How? By putting th- things in place. This is where you and I need to examine how we live our life. That's why in last chapter, in chapter 10, he spoke about, take time to, take time to reflect about life. Take time to examine your life. And you know what? I want you to think about this. Do you live life in a biblical worldview? Or your worldview is very secular? Do you live life with a a value system that is pleasing to the world, that is conforming to the world, or is it very biblical and kingdom-oriented? How is your stewardship? Is it good stewardship or is it poor stewardship? Examine it. How How is your character? Is it a godly character? Growing in the, in the Christ-likeness? Or is it a character that is very much wanted? It's, 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 there are a lot of want in it that we need to grow. You and I, we need to take time to evaluate. How is our relationships? Are we truly loving people for who they are? Or do we love people because they mean something? They bring something to us? Or they benefit us in some way? Is it self-serving? Or is it truly serving the kingdom purpose? Listen to this. We need to take time to evaluate. And when are these things formed? These things are formed within the days of our youth. That's why one of the core things we do in this church is we pay attention to the next generation. And when we pay attention to the next generation, we mentor all the leaders that are looking after the next generation because there is a process that we are making sure that the worldview is cultivated, the value system is cultivated. This is important. While they are young, while they have time to think about things, put them in place. Because when they grow old, they are more rigid, more set in their ways, harder to change. You and I, we need to form these things while we are young. And he says, the days of evil are coming before the days of evil in verse 1. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. See, there are days coming in a person's life and Solomon says, you say, I have no pleasure. Not only I have no pleasure, you also say the evil days. And then from verse 2 onwards, he gives you a description of old age. Listen to me carefully. What is old age, according to Solomon? How does he describe it? Look at this. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, He's describing how old age comes upon a person. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and the one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because the man is going to his eternal home, the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden ball is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Wow. And what is Solomon saying in all this? He's saying there's only that much time left in a person's life before evil days come, before darkness come. And before the darkness come, you and I need to learn to rejoice in our youth. Learn to live life to the full. But at the same time, live life faithfully to the creator. Live a life of stewardship. Don't wait till too late. That's why you and I, as people of God, we need to recognize that God is calling us to live and live and live wisely and steward our life in every season. In our youth, we need to put God into the equation. In our old age, we need to put God into the equation. And every season, we need to know what to do, how to serve God in that season. There are only certain things you can do while you have energy and strength and vitality. If you want to go on mission field, if you want to live in a mission field, you can possibly do it while you're young. But as you age, there are so many things that makes, makes it harder, isn't it? That's why in the young people, you need to live life to the full. He says, rejoice. Don't have, don't have all this uh, vexation in your heart. Remove all of that. Remove pain from your heart and live life to the full. But at the same time, live faithfully to the creator. Steward your life. And you need to learn to steward your life in every season. And finally, in chapter 11 and verse 1 to verse 10, he goes on to say this, we should engage life with the confidence of faith. He goes on to give us two metaphors. He uses a merchant and a farmer. And he talks about how we need to not only steward life wisely, but we need to learn to invest our life. See, he says, live life full. Rejoice. Remember, live life faithful. And now, live life wisely. How? Come come back to this. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. See, Solomon is a trader. He's the one who built shipyards, and he sent ships to the Orient and to the East, and they traded spices. It's recorded for us. And this is something he speaks very clearly. He says, cast your bread. And one of the things they they actually traded in those days were grains. So he's saying, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. So it could mean that be generous in your heart, or it can also mean about investment, that you need to learn to wisely invest your life. You need to learn to invest in the things of the future. And that's what he's saying, cast your bread upon the waters. Upon the waters is that it's going global, it is going regional, that it goes beyond your borders. Because the waters will go for international trade. And he says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It will not return immediately. It will not produce any return. Sometimes the investments you do, they don't produce returns in the short run. But in the long run, you will have investment Maybe the investment, the return will come even after you leave earth. I want you to listen to me. That's why Solomon has this mindset of an investor here. He says, in the young days, I need to rejoice as I, because the days are coming when I, I need to remember and steward my life. How do I steward my life? I need to wisely invest it. Do you know in the New Testament, a disciple is an investor? A disciple is an investor in what? He invests his resources in the kingdom of God. That's why in the first semester in our Bible college, we always talk about this M-A-T-E. Each of us have been given money, attention, time, energy, or effort. Where are we spending this? Where are you investing your money, your attention, your time, your energy? And Solomon says you need to learn to invest in the future. If you're a person who takes into account a life of wisdom, you take into account God in the picture, you put God into the equation, then you become an investor. How? Invest in the things that last beyond you. Invest in the things that are eternal, isn't it? But here Solomon is saying very specifically about international trade. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for it will come after many days. Then verse 2, he goes on to say, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. What does it mean? It means diversify your investments. That means in, in some ways you need to learn To engage with life, with a confidence of faith. Because sometimes, in his mind, what he's thinking is, I'm not going to put all my grains in one ship. What if that ship is caught in a storm and it's ruined? Then all is lost. So he says, no, no, no. I'm going to take it and put it into seven or eight ships so that it will bear fruit. Not all will be lost. Some will be lost. But I will still have some that returns to me. So he's talking about diversifying your investment. In in a modern language, it would be like, do not put all your eggs in one basket. The same thing. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. But if you think about life, he's actually saying that you need to learn to invest. You know, as a disciple-making pastor, we journey with so many in our mentoring, in our disciple-making. In some, you see fruit immediately. In some, you don't why because the stubbornness of heart the youthful pride the ambitions of the heart there is so much carnality that is plaguing them so they are not willing to let go and let god what happens you don't see a return at all but you still faithfully keep doing what you're doing because and you don't you don't just just bank on one you you do six or seven and that's what it is he's saying race if you're going to raise leaders raise a pipeline of leaders If you're going to invest in disciples, disciple all of them. If you're going to invest, invest widely. Invest invest, and spread your investments. Why? Because you don't know which one will bear fruit. But all you know is something will bear fruit. That's the key. So invest in your future. Diversify your investments. Thirdly, he goes on to say in in this passage, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. In this passage, you will find four times Solomon repeat this one phrase, you do not know. In other words, this is where you and I have to develop the humility of life. We do not know, but we do know the one who knows what will happen. And that is where we need to anchor ourselves in the sovereignty of God in the goodness and the faithfulness of God and say, Lord, I will do what you have called me to do. Even if I don't know how this will be, I will do what you have called me to do because you are faithful. Hallelujah. Look look at this. After he talked about merchant, now he moves into a farmer. In verse three, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. In other words, he goes on to say, if you and I sometimes... Uh, observe life, observe nature. A farmer knows this. What does a farmer know? The farmer knows that when when the clouds are full of rain, it will empty itself. If a tree falls, wherever it falls, it will stay there. In other words, there are certain things you know it's going to happen. You know ahead of time. He just said there are some things, disaster may happen, you do not know. But here now, he says, but there are predictions. You do know that these things will happen so you have to take into account that bad things will things will go wrong and that's what a farmer does he plans for all con- contingencies he takes into account if the cloud comes it will empty rain is supposed to come and you see clouds rain is coming when i see one one tree about to give up and, and and drop and when it drops i know it will stay in that same place so i need to plan and that's the key here he's saying number 4 he goes on to say, if he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. People say, okay, because there are so many risks involved, I see this can go wrong, that can go wrong, that can go wrong. Therefore, I'm going to hold and keep everything with me. I'm not going to invest anything. I'm not going to give my life to anyone because they all hurt me. I'm not going to disciple anyone because my previous disciple, uh, or disciple he just uh, hurt my heart. Oh, I don't go to mentor anybody. I'm not going to do these things or I'm not going to open my life to a new relationship. People do that. Why? Because they observe the wind, they will not sow. He regards the clouds, they will not reap. The Bible says they look for all these excuses, and they say, because I take this, I won't want to do. And that is why he says you got to engage with life with the confidence of faith. How? Be practical. Know that there will be things that will go wrong. Not every relationship will, have, will, will be going through seasons where, where you thrive in the relationships. There will be struggles. You know, I always say to the team leaders and our all our staff team that when a team is formed, they go through different stages, isn't it? They, they, come, through, they come through a place of storming, then norming, and then forming, and then performing. So when you put a team, a bunch of people together with so many different personalities, they clash. And when they clash, when there's, there's all these things, if they are immature, someone will resign, someone will give up, someone will walk away. But if they are mature, they learn to submit to one another and create a working environment where they are principle-centered. Not personality-centered, but principle-centered. And the moment they come through that, that's when they go through that storming, norming, forming, and now when they are formed, they can be performing. And that's the stages. We got to be aware of it. So just don't be surprised, even in church, when people cannot get along with each other. They're going through that season. They're going through the, the immaturity. The fault lines appear. Now everything needs to be ironed out before God. When we bring God into the equation and f- make a commitment to walk in wisdom, we still sow knowing there are risks involved. But Solomon here Wisely advises something. You know what he's advising? Don't just take risk for taking risk's sake. Take calculated risk. What is calculated risk? Calculated risk is I can mitigate this risk. What is a calculated risk? Calculated risk is I can, I'm, I'm willing to lose this. Even if I lose this, it won't, it won't cause any great pain. That's the kind of a loss you're willing to walk away from. That's taking a a risk that is calculated. And the key thing that he says here, the risk that you and I take, what is the calculation we got to put in place? I know nothing. God knows everything. Look at this in verse 5. As you do not know the way, again the second time, you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You do not know how bones are formed in the womb. You do not know how the spirit comes into a soul, how the spirit comes into a human fetus. You do not know. But who knows? The work of God who makes everything. It is God who makes all these things happen. So you do not know even the work of God. That is why you have to take this posture, I don't know. He knows. And because I sometimes even don't know what he is doing, I still take the risk And this calculated risk is this, that God is sovereign, God is good, God is on the throne, He is still in control, He will bring His purposes come to pass in my life. Can I humbly say this, church? Just because there are risks involved and hurt involved, we are not called to just fold our hands and sit idly. In every season of our lives, God is calling us to disciple the world. Every season of our lives, God is calling us to invest our life in a few key individuals, invest our resources, invest our time, our talent, our energy, our treasures, our territories, everything for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. And we are called to do that. But we need to do that wisely. And here he says in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that whether both alike will be good you don't know but don't hold your hand don't hold don't fold your hand he says risk it do it how in the morning sow your seed and in the evening withhold not your hand what does that mean morning and evening he says continuously invest. Continuously do what God is calling you to do. In other words, let me give you four things from this passage. One, invest for your future. Number two, diversify your investments. Three, take calculated risk. And number four, don't be complacent. You and I are called to do. We need to be hardworking, you know, not hardly working. We need to be hardworking but at the same time, working in this situation is due diligence. We do our diligence. We do the, We take the risk into consideration, but we still risk it all for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom. In closing, I want to bring you to Matthew chapter 25. In this passage of scripture, the Lord leaves to us a parable of three servants. The master leaves the town and gives the three Three sets of, three servants, five talents, two talents, and one talent. And then he goes away for a long time. So talent and time is given to the servants. And what does the master do? The master comes back after much, after a long period of time, he comes back. And he asks only one question. How did you do with the talents I gave you in the time I gave you? what did you do with the talents i gave you in the time i gave you and that is a question i believe one day we will all be asked the resources that has been given to us do we use it for our personal consumption or do we truly use it for the glory of god and for the good of his kingdom how do we invest the time the talent the resources the territories the treasures that he has given to us one day we got to give an account and that day came The Bible says the man who received five talents, he showed the Lord, the master, ten talents. He multiplied it. The one with two multiplied it to four. The one with the one, he went and hid it. And he says, you are a hard man. So I hid it. Here is the one talent you gave me. Now I want you to think about this. He didn't lose the talent. He maintained the talent. And you know what the Bible calls him? Wicked and slothful servant. Wicked servant, slothful servant. The rest of them were said, well done, good and faithful servant. Whereas this one one person who maintained it was said, you're wicked and slothful servant. I want you to listen to me carefully. Many times we think about faithfulness in the Bible. Faithfulness is not maintaining what you have. Faithfulness is multiplying what you have. Faithfulness is not just maintaining what has been given to you, but faithfulness is seen in the investment of time and resources so that it multiplies, it blesses beyond your family. Listen to me carefully. As people of God, we need to learn to use the resources that God has entrusted to us in the time that he has given to us to use it for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom. So learn to do it wisely. Invest. Not everything will return for you in the same time but the return God determines you trust in the Lord and you sow that's why we give generously to the mission field that's why we send missionaries to the mission field that's why we also go on mission ourselves and live missionally by inviting opening our homes inviting people spending money on them buying them gifts giving them food spending money why we want to invest and sow the gospel into their life listen to me carefully this is the reason why you have been entrusted with life. That's the conclusion of Solomon. When he brings the keys to a fulfilled life. You know what he says? The key to a fulfilled life is this. That I need to learn to enjoy life within the boundaries of righteousness. I need to, I need to live my life. I need to enrich my life by being preoccupied with God. And thirdly, he goes on to say, I need to engage life with the confidence of faith, knowing that God is with me, God is on the throne, that he has called me to do this and he learned to, you learn to invest your life in others. I want to end by saying this. You and I have been given a tremendous opportunity, opportunity to truly live for the glory of God. Some have been given much, to whom much is given much is required. I want you to think about this. Don't consume things on your own self. You know, only when prosperity comes, your true conviction is revealed. When you're you're poor, you can can have a lot of idle, you can live with a lot of convictions, and you say, oh, these are my ideals that I'm holding on to. But can I humbly say this? When prosperity comes, Do you still hold on to those ideals? Do you still live by that conviction? Like I said earlier, when pain comes, people question God. When pleasures come, people forget God. And when they pursue, they neglect God. Why has God given you the resources? Not so that you can upgrade everything in your life all the time. You need to come to a place where you put a budget in place. You put a cap on your own spending. And you learn to invest wisely in the kingdom of God. There are so many missions, missionaries who are yet to go on mission field because they can't raise resources. And these are the key things that you and I need to recognize. And if you are a missionary who has been in a foreign land and come back to live in another Western developed country, you are, you're, you're still a missionary. You should still live a missional life. And it should be seen in the way you live and how you m- steward your resources and how you, how you release more for the kingdom of God. I said to my wife when we got married, honey, I want to live the same life I would have lived if I lived in India. In India, I wanted to support the village pastors. In, when I was young, these things were groomed into my heart. God just put the burden of carrying other ministers of God financially in my heart and that that thing left a deep conviction in my heart and when we got married I said to my wife honey you are saying take thousand dollars and buy and fill our lounge room with furniture and when we were married newly married I couldn't bring myself to that I went before the Lord and I struggled I said Lord thousand dollars 25 times I multiply it in Indian rupees 25,000 rupees, that's 10 months of a pastor's salary or that could be uh, uh, 10 pastors sending their kids to school for a whole year. I can't. And those things are convictions that we still live by. Just because prosperity has come doesn't mean we let go of ideals and let go of convictions. There is a reason why we still live in the same house which God gave us graciously to buy when we had no money. We were not working anywhere. No church employed us. And the reason why we live in that same house even today, even though God has blessed us tremendously, is because of that conviction. He doesn't give us so that we can advance our own life. He gives us so that we can advance the kingdom of God. You consume less so that others can be blessed. And that's why we support. We support pastors and missionaries. We support and we give. And we, we cut down our own expenses so that we can bless them. That's the life we want to live. Why? Because we take the Lord into consideration. We he put the master into the equation. He emptied himself. We need to come and embrace that as a theology, as a conviction. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. I'm not talking about living in poverty. We already covered live life, enjoy life, enjoy life to the full, but enjoy, learn to enjoy it in the simplicity of life. But at the same time, learn to appreciate what God has given to you, but learn to invest it. The New Testament talks about this. Jesus says to his disciples, a man who was fired from his, uh, a dishonest manage, manager who was fired from his, uh, from his uh, post, he quickly calls all the debtors who, who, who needs to pay to his master, He immediately cancels their debt into halves. He halved it and he gave it to them. Why? Because he's using uh, other person's means. He's using the monetary means to win friends. And Jesus says, this is how you and I, as kingdom of God people, we should be shrewd. We should use the human resources. We should use the monetary resources to make friends in the kingdom of God. Not consume on ourselves, but invest it. Some will return when you are still alive. Some, you will only see the return when you get to heaven. But you are called to invest. You only develop that mindset if you put God into the equation and say, God, everything I have is yours. My life is yours. My time, my talent, my territories, my my treasures, everything is yours. And the moment you come to recognize that you're living a borrowed life, that you're living a life of stewardship, then everything changes. From that day onwards, you're not an owner, you're only a mere steward. So you go before God and you say, Lord, this is what you have provided. Help me to live wisely. Help me to live simply. Help me to live like a steward. A philosophy that I've embraced in my own life, live simply so others can simply live. I want you to consider this. This is the month where we are talking about missions giving. Don't just give leftovers. Consider giving. You know, when this couple who was being sent from our church to Central Asia came into my office one day and shared their journey, I broke down and wept and wept and wept in front of them. And after they left, I wept some more. And the reason I wept is because, oh, how I wish all our church members will be like that, that they will go into the world sacrificing the pleasures of this world so that they can win souls in the kingdom of God. And that is the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is that you stay on mission don't fall into this world. Don't fall into the system of this world. Fall in love with him. And he says, rejoice when you're young. Remember your creator. That means you're a steward. But learn this, that you've got to invest your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask that you help us to capture the essence of this message today. Lord, I pray that it's, it is not poverty theology. And it's not prosperity theology. But when we read the scriptures, we know that it's a stewardship theology. That what you have entrusted to us, whether it is much or little, we recognize this, that time has been given to us and talents has been given to us. That you help us to steward the talent and help us to invest it in the time that you have given us. So that when we reach heaven and meet you, that we will hear from your lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that we will live wisely, that we will live life fully, we will live life faithfully, but we will also live wisely, that you will help us to enjoy life, you help us to engage with life, but you will help us to put God into the equation and help us to enrich our life. So this morning, we ask for your help, Lord. And I pray for each and every one under the sound of my voice that you speak to us in a special way, in a unique way, that we will take this to heart and apply it. As a result, the God is glorified. Kingdom of God is advanced. We thank you in Jesus' name and the people of God said, Amen. Receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. Go in his peace, church, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Hallelujah. Next Sunday, the following Sunday, we are going to finish off with uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'll be doing a summary message and a whole overview. I will look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Have a blessed week. We love you. Thank you for watching, everyone. And we trust that you enjoyed the service. Please do take the time to leave a comment below or to take your next steps with us. Go to connect.idmc.com.au. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on our Facebook pages for all the latest sermons and content. God bless you everyone and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you.